0: and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events.
1: Everyone, thank you for signing in to our talk today. Um, This is the soft launch for Internationalism from Below. We are an organizing project of a network of socialist activists that seeks to build transnational solidarity with and between movements for social justice and democracy. My name is Lala Peñaranda, and I'll be the moderator for today. I'm an activist from Colombia. Um, I did mostly agrarian organizing, and now I'm doing, uh, I'm the Latin America coordinator for Trade Unions for Energy Democracy. I'm also a member of the International Committee of DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. And tonight um, we'll be hearing directly from activists from Thailand, uh, hopefully Nigeria um, and Belarus about the popular uh, struggles in their countries and how we can build transnational solidarity with them. This event is made possible um, in partnership with our friends at Haymarket Books and comrades in No Borders News, the Review of African Political Economy, New Politics Magazine, Tempest, Lausanne, The Boston Review, um, and comrades from other organizations. And um, I want to speak very briefly about uh, internationalism from below as a project. Um, we, as I mentioned, are an or- it's an organizing project of a network of socialist activists. Um, And it was born mostly because we saw that our organizing work was uh, limited more or less to our regional um, expertise. So in my case, it was Latin American trade unions. And we were doing a lot of organizing within the same communities um, and within the same regions. And we wanted an internationalist from below perspective on trans regional organizing that linked local struggles um, and in general struggles across borders. Um, And the idea of this series that we're launching um, again with the framework of internationalism from below is that we need to um, learn from struggles on the ground as they are experienced um, and the different debates and dynamics that are happening between left forces on the ground. as well as identifying the main actors, what their interests are. Learn from one another's strategies, learn from one another's mistakes and victories, um, because that is ultimately what will inform how we stand in solidarity with one another. Um, The more we are informed about one another's struggles, uh, the better we can inform our local work. Um, So that's sort of the, the background to this organizing project. Um, we are online and on Twitter, internationalism from below, and Facebook under the same name. And um, today, as as I was mentioning, we're going to have um, a, this speaking series about uh, uprisings uh, from Thailand, hopefully Nigeria, and Belarus. Um, and we are going to have a series of four questions um, and I'll start by uh, introducing our speakers for the day. So Lek Pachini is a member of the Socialist Workers Thailand group, labor rights activist, and a researcher and journalist in Bangkok. Um, hopefully our comrade Leigh Brown will be joining. Uh, he is the organizing secretary of the automobile Boatyards, Transport, Equipment, and Allied Senior Staff Association, Otto um, and National Secretary of the Socialist Workers and Youth League in Lagos. And then lastly, Sergei Bishardik is an activist from Belarus and a visiting assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, and without further ado, we're going to start with um, a lay of the land in um, initially these two contexts. Um, and I'll ask you to speak for about seven minutes each. Um, and the the overview is essentially about the terrain on which these uprisings are developing. So, what elements should activists know in order to understand the context? Uh, and this can include critical elements of history, actors, timeline, background. Um, and let's start with uh, Leck, please.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, see, uh, it's good to see you all here. Um, and and I, ha- and I am happy to share you about Chinese politics and uh, demonstrations uh, nowadays. Uh, you know that uh, the movement in China, uh, yesterday I just uh, joined as a, a protest uh, in front of the uh, Royal Thai uh, Police uh, Headquarters, uh, and a lot of uh, artists, uh, protesters, they uh, sprayed uh, pens and graffiti in front of the p- police office op- office because uh, yesterday we uh, we were so angry with the police because uh, two days ago they the police uh, tried to disperse. The protesters in front of the parliament because uh, two days ago the parliament, you know that uh, they had uh, a resolution to uh, amend the constitution. So we will start. uh, We will be starting to draft a new uh, constitution, but the constitution, the the parliament uh, stopped. to uh, reform the monarchy because the movement led by the students, they demand uh, to reform the monarchy. So we need to change something on the constitutions, on the article one and article two that we we need to reform the monarchy. So, so now we, we try to bypass the parliament, because we need the government to resign, especially the PM, the Prime Minister. Uh, you know, you, you can see the 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 politic the Thai politics that we are actually we are ruled by the military regime. Actually, even we have the constitution. Uh, uh, two years, uh, three years ago, but but the constitution was drafted. By the military rules because we had the military coup data on uh, in 2014. So now we are ru- we are ruled by the constitution drafted by the military dictatorship. So now six years already that uh, we are fed up with the administration of the prime minister. The prime minister was the was former uh, was uh, general. So, and his and his uh, cronies, you know, the senators, the senators. There are two hundred fifty senators appointed by the by the PM and the military uh, makers, and and also, you know, after uh, after we had a constitution. Uh, 3 days, 3 years ago the coup cool makers you know they ha- they organized a new political party yes because they need uh to, to 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 take the office they want to take the office so now they they are successful to take a fo- office the the prime minister the general prayut chan ocha he has he, he has his He has uh, has been appointed by the the senators and uh, and the new political parties from the military dictatorship. They won the elections. So now uh, the movement led by the students now, there are about about 100,000, especially in Bangkok. You know, Bangkok is like a battleground but a few of struggles. But the, the new thing of the movement in Thailand is that the students, they lead the movement, not only Bangkok, but around, across the th- Thailand as well. Uh, so, but why why the movement of, uh, rise? Because, um, the new political party, you know, we had a new political party not only uh, from the side of the military, but we had a new political party from the from the movement from the demo- uh, pro democracy. You know, this is called uh, future forward party. Future forward party has the progressive politics, uh, and he had the same agendas as the movement. At the red shirt, uh, at the people's movement as well. For example, uh, we had the same standpoint to uh, oppose the military. So be- because we we don't need no more um, we- no more uh, military coups again in Thailand because we had a lot of coups already in Thailand. So now Thai politics is like uh, ruled by the military dictatorship. Uh big. Be- the students they had like a, they're quite active now because the they hope they hope that the new political party Future Forward will be uh, we we can run the country and uh, give give the futures of the of the of the new uh, generations. because the uh, in Thailand as well we had a bad uh, economy. You know, during COVID-19, the economy in Thailand is uh, quite uh, slowing down, you know, last year and from now as well. So the economy under the the military dictatorship, you know, is quite not good because military is quite facilitate the monopoly, uh, corporates to run the countries and a lot of mega projects uh, was was, uh, facilitated by the big investors and big uh, corporates in Thailand so it's quite like uh, they try to uh, they have their own you know military they have their own 20 years national strategy to build the economy in Thailand but built under the, their own cronies, so so we so the student, you know, after the COVID uh, lockdowns uh, in July, we uh, they explored because uh and one thing that they explored because the abduction of the Thai activists in exile, the Thai activists, you know, in Thailand, uh, exile uh, in exile in neighboring countries. And nine already, nine activists were murdered. Murdered by secret uh, security forces because they criticized the king. Mm -hmm. They criticized the monarchy. So in June, you know, a Thai uh, activist uh, was murdered, was abducted, and then we uh, we think that he was uh, dead already. So it's made us uh, very angry, you know very uh, furious at that time. So people explored and activists uh, could, uh, could not uh, fed off and I could uh, uh, endure I could not endure again. So we we came out to protest uh, in front of the uh, Cambodian embassy and then we we, and we opposed the state of emergency decree. Because uh, under the COVID nineteen, uh, the government announced the announced the state of emergency decree, and you cannot, you know, during this time you cannot uh, assemble for uh, five people. But anyway, we don't care anymore <laughs> because six year already, you know, six year already that we are uh, ruled by the military, rules by the sedition, so we we cannot. Uh, Endure again so we uh, came out and, uh, and demand to dissolvement of Parliament and uh, resignation of the government and draft and to draft the new constitution and to reform the monarchy because the monarchies know now, even they don't have uh, the power uh, authorities to run the country, but the monarchy's uh, roles in Thailand is leading uh, the culture, cultural aspect. It's like a domination of the ideology, of the nationalism, loyalism. Mm-hmm. So this is the, the role of the monarchy, but the role of the military, they run the country. They seize the power of of the of the people. So now we need we need the power back. Yeah, so they, they they should like a return to the power to the people to reshape the to reshape the politics again, and we need to reduce the, the role of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he and the king is very rich, yeah. very rich. Yeah, and yeah, yeah and now in during COVID nineteen we can see the the social clash very clearly because mm-hmm. the inequality of the economy as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of uh, an incredible historical background um, that Thailand has to its current uprising and lots of lessons from its own history to to draw from. Um, and as you were saying, not only is there uh, a capitalist elite, not only is there a monarchy, but there's this military dictatorship that is sort of the be-all end-all um, mm-hmm. that concentrate so much power. Um, So you're fighting all these forces at once. Um, So thank you, Luck, for that introduction. Sergei, can you tell us a little bit about the, this terrain that um, the Belarus uprisings are are unfolding on and then also communicate sort of the movement demands?
3: Yes, uh, thank you for the, organisers, first of all, for inviting me and uh, thank you, Lek, for uh, these introductory remarks. Indeed, in the case of Belarus, constitutional reform is uh, at the centre of the debate and uh, indeed whether uh, Belarus is turning to military dictatorship is uh, to be decided uh, very soon. In fact, so what has been happening in Belarus, uh, there has been over three months of sustained protests. To be exact, 102 days now. And when I say sustained, I mean every day, every day. Just to give an example, Saturday is Women's March. Sunday is a mass march that has totaled uh, anywhere from uh, 100,000 to 200,000 people in the past 13 weeks. Uh, Monday, seniors and pensioners have their march in the thousands. Tuesday, people with disabilities and so on and so on. Every day, there are local organizations, local resistance uh, sites. So, in what follows, I want to talk about the occasion of these protests, the event that underlies it, uh, the form of the protest, causes, and conditions of them. So, uh, first of all, uh, the occasion was August 9th elections, uh, where uh, Alexander Lukashenko, who has been in power for 26 years, uh, has officially won the election with uh, something like 80%. Uh, in truth, she uh, lost uh, the election. Uh, the results were fa- falsified. The winner was uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya was a protest candidate because every other position candidate was was either jailed or left the country. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya herself was um, <coughs> a wife, a self-described uh, house wife. Uh, of one of the candidates. And the campaign, the very inspiring campaign was spearheaded by her and two other women, uh, Maria uh, Maria Kolesnikova and Veronika uh, Cepkala. Uh, so what is interesting is that these campaign gathered thousands and thousands, not only in Minsk in the capital, but across the regions and the, uh, this, uh, led to electoral victory that, uh, we have ways uh, of proving it or more or less, we can assume that they won. Uh, the event underlying, uh, the current protests are the days that followed, um, the election, August 9th to August 12th. Uh, Basically what happened, police terror was unleashed onto society. The protesters were uh, brutally beaten, detained, tortured, tortured, Uh, I do not say this lightly. Uh, Several uh, were murdered and this gave rise to mass actions of solidarity, especially by women who composed the uh, human chains across the cities and regions. Uh, secondly, the second decisive factor was the workers' strikes who walked out of the governmental uh, factories en masse in the, um, these days, and the site of direct democracy where people on public spaces demanded au- accountability uh, and voted on the street showing um, where <clears throat> the vote was. And these three days of terror um, was halted by this uh, solidarity action, so police had to uh, retreat and this event still underlies the protest today with one of the major slogans we will not forget we will not forgive the protesters have uh, three demands um, release political prisoners resignation of Lukashenko, and new elections and third hold responsible those uh, hold accountable those responsible for the terror. so uh, let me speak uh, briefly about the form of the protests. Um, the protests are peaceful and very consciously so. The protesters insist on it, and if there is any violence that breaks out, they hold people back. Uh, and they're very proud of it, for better or for worse. Uh, so, this has been a uh, completely central element to it. The organization is horizontal. There are no leaders. Tikhanovskaya had to leave the country. Uh, she's not in control of the protests. Every other Possible leader is in jail or left the country, um, and uh, Tikhanovskaya herself was a protest candidate. Uh, so, so uh, her demand was new elections. She does not does not want to be president. Um, then another form is self organization. So neighborhoods have been organizing points of resistance uh, uh, horizontally. And there is this insistence on lawfulness. People all of a sudden speak about the constitution of rewriting the constitution, the return of the constitution of formation of the Republic and so on. And um, uh, the guiding word of this protest has been solidarity. If an owner of a, a flower shop gets beaten, Next day, all the flowers are bought from this store. If there is a broken window, people pitch in from the neighborhood to repair the window. Yes, uh, last few days, uh, authorities turned off the water in one of the major neighborhoods of Resistance Nova Baravaya. People from across the city brought in water to them. So this has been kind of the form of the protest. Uh, so the causes, long-term causes, this did not come about merely by. This election. Long term causes is erosion of the welfare state and a number of unpopular reforms, n- neoliberal reforms like the pension reform or the parasite tax. People who are unemployed were actually persecuted and taxed rather than helped. Um, decline of standards of living. Um, Botched COVID response, but also a new generation, simply a new generation uh, who grew up under Lukashenko. You have to imagine this is 26 years. The conditions of the sustained protests are uh, precisely leaderless protests. I think this is condition of the sustainability of the process. There is nobody you can arrest. Who would uh, uh, pacify the protests and the non nationalist nature of the protests? So it departed from the previous nationalist opposition of the 1990s following the Soviet Union. The major slogan has been we want neither Russia nor European Union. We want to establish a constitutional republic and be governed uh, by our own means. And final uh, condition, and the most important one, is a formation Uh, problematic term, but this term has been used of civil society, basically solidarity networks everywhere that are decentered that are helping at all times people who are persecuted. And the last uh, point, uh, just five seconds, today government ran out of all resources and what is left is terror. Last two weeks has been animated by the return of massive, massive police brutality. Police brutality was there all along, but last two weeks. Uh, People have been jailed, again tortured for the first time since August. Young man by the name Raman Bandarenko was abducted and murdered just a few days ago. Um, And this is here we stand on uh, on the cusp of uh, exhaustion of the regime and the potential military dictatorship.
1: Thank you, Sergei, That was a really rich overview. Um, and so far, we've seen that police brutality, military brutality, is um, a common a common thread. Um, it's also a polarizing and a politicizing element, which should, in the United States, inform us about, um, you know, uh, which movements are um, are really politicizing uh, our grassroots movements. So I see that. Comrade Baba Ai has uh, joined, and I'm so happy to see you, comrade. Um, it's a pleasure to you. We,
4: uh,
1: we have worked in the past in, in other trade union spaces, um, so, so I'm very happy to see you. I will actually let you introduce yourself, if that's okay, um, and then we are just doing overviews. So if you could tell us about uh, the demands of the Ansar's movement and all the adjacent demands that have um, been born since, as well as sort of a little bit of the lay of the land, what is the historical background um, to this uprising, and what are the different actors at play, what are their interests, etc., and the floor is yours.
4: All right, I think it's a pleasure, uh, Lala. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I would want to tender the apologies of uh, Lai. He's having some technical issues with um, his um, system, which is why I have to like um, step in for him. Um, yeah, the, the NSAS movement, the immediate spark was circulation of a video um that gave the the view that a young man had been killed by the special anti-robbery squad in uh, the Niger Delta, a town in the Niger Delta. This was on the 3rd of uh, October. And um, there was mass anger on Twitter and WhatsApp. People were like, look, we have to resist these and so on and so forth. And it started on the 6th in, in, in the Delta State where it happened. But by the 8th of October, Uh, Starting in the two major cities, Abuja, the Federal Capital Territory, uh, and Lagos, the Commercial Center, people took to the streets. By the following day, other states started moving. Within a few days, over 20 out of the 36 states of the Federation, young people were on the streets, demanding an end to the Special anti robbery Squad. And police brutality in general. Uh, to quickly put things in perspective, uh, there has been a long history of police brutality, and the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, which was so constituted in 1992, has been particularly notorious. There have been a series of Amnesty International reports, which shows how it uses torture and how it has a string of extrajudicial killings to its name. Uh, this has been particularly rampant in the 2000s, where it it had moved from uh, focus on armed robbery to uh, online scams. uh, And and it used this, rather, it became a scam itself, because um, young people with uh, iPhones, iPads, uh, were arrested at will as being supposedly uh, online scammers. And then, I mean, there was profiling, if you have dreadlocks, you have tattoos. Oh, you're supposed to be a bad boy. Uh, But the truth was this. When you get arrested, if you pay huge amounts of money, you get let off. But if you can't, you probably end up dead. Or if you get released, Amnesty International said you end up spending months in the hospital to recuperate. And these were the lucky ones. I mean, there were there were several killed even on the streets. So there had been since 2016 2017 there had been quite a number of uh, protests against against SARS, uh, both online and on the streets. But these were far far smaller compared to what happened in October. Uh, and there are several reasons for this. Nigeria, the social economic situation has never been this bad for the mass of the people, particularly for for youths. In 2018, the country overtook India as the country with the largest number of poor people in the world. As at then, uh, 84, 85 million out of the over 200 million population uh, were in poverty. Uh, however, by now, the situation is worse. We're talking of 105 million people living in abject poverty. Uh, one out of every two young persons is effectively unemployed. Uh, so there's mass anger. And things have gotten worse also with the pandemic, where you have had tens of thousands of people thrown into the employment market and those that still have jobs, you have sharp cuts. Uh, when when this started, the when the movement started... <laughs> (laughs) There are a number of things that define it, one of which is uh, usually pointed out to be its leaderlessness. Uh, Its leaderlessness had a number of uh, reasons behind this. One was just like within the case of uh, of, of Belarus, the issue of then it made it more difficult to get anyone arrested. Uh, but also the trade unions. Just a few days before that, on the 28th of September, a general strike had been would have been held by the trade unions. The two national trade union centers were to go on a general strike to protest uh, a sharp increase in petroleum pump price and electricity tariff. But they made a rotten deal which. I mean, there was really no concession won at the last minute, around 3 a.m. And uh, so there was also this this sense of disappointment in the trade unions uh, by rank-and-file workers and people in general, and the sense of that, look, uh, institutionalization had to do with having leadership. But another key aspect of this was within the NSAS movement, there was actually... Subtle but quite palpable uh, contestation from day one between a liberal wing, both collaboration and contestation, I would say, a liberal wing and a left wing uh, within the movement. Um, uh, the, the 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 left wing was uh, mainly uh, personalised, mainly mainly manifested in the Coalition for Revolution Core, which had organised a series of uh, uh, protests since uh, last year when we launched. the the revolution now campaign uh on the 5th of August. And the last of this series of protests was on the 1st of October uh, during the Diamond Jubilee of the country. So uh, some of the demands that would later, you know, now become even dominant in the in the in the in the movement on the ground had been pushed advanced by core activists pointing out the systemic nature of police brutality and say, look, we have to tie this to demanding You know, a system change, a new form of governance and all that. But at the initial point, the liberals were, no, 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 it has to be about answers. In fact, um, some of our cadres faced attacks where um, the the Charter for Total liberation of the Coalition, which was circulated, was taken turn by some of these. But... As days went by, and as the state showed itself for what it was, you know, an unchangeable wolf, the, 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 the demands got radicalized. On the 11th of October, um, the, poly, the, the, the IGP, the Inspector General, came to announce that, okay, SARS had been banned, but people were not be fooled, because several times since 2016, thrice, they have said it had been either it was going to be reformed, and certain operations were to be banned. But we still see the same police brutality continuing. So people say we're not leaving the streets. The response of the state the following day was crackdown. You know, people were shot. Life ammunition was even used. By the 12th of October, according to Amnesty International, not less than 10 people had already been killed by the police in the demonstrations. You know, but this... Attempts at repression were not successful. And on the 13th of October, the state was uh, forced to call for a meeting. Uh and now, by then the the the, the, the demands, the, the demands of the protesters are taking the shape of what is called five for five, five demands, and say that we well, do not want just one of these, we wanted or two, we wanted all the five. Scrapping of the um of the notorious squad, um judgment justice for those that had been killed, release of all protesters, you know, and better pay for the for police. So the IGP announced that, okay, we are taking your uh, demands only after the meeting to then announce that the scrap SARS had been replaced by a special weapons and tactics unit. And people were like, I mean, what the hell? I mean, yeah. nothing really is changing then, you know. Yeah. So the protest continued. And that was when the states um, moved in, um, sent in hired talks. You know, protesters were attacked by neo fascist talks in different states of the Federation. Uh, but, but because of that, I'll, I'll try. Um, As this I'll got on. I,
1: I might stop you there just because you're getting into the following questions. Okay, um, okay, 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 so okay, okay. This is okay, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> laying, laying the ground for, for what we're going to talk about. Um, All right, that's. But that was a great that was a great introduction. Thank you. Um, and because we're tight on time, let's just jump straight into the first question, which is about the class forces um, in these uprisings. And you've already touched a little bit about the leadership question, or rather, the leaderless uh, dynamics, um, and how they are often consciously leaderless at moments. Um, and but I want us to go a little bit deeper um, into the relationship between the different left forces on the ground. Uh, You've talked about trade unions. Um, Let's just go a little bit deeper into that. Um, And sort of, you know, in in this context, the rearrangement that we've seen among the um, left, what were the left forces, um, you know, you think of, for example, Chile, and you think of a complete restructuring of uh, a pre-uprising left. Um, this is something that seems to be definitely characterizing the uprisings, um, well, definitely at least of this moment. Um, so how how has the left been rearranged? Um, that's sort of one question. And then what are the, I guess, the important dynamics um, in these relationships? And to what extent are the different left forces on the ground um, coordinating, or as you were saying, Bava, uh, contesting? Uh, one another's discourses, um, and it's very brief—just four to five minutes each—and then we'll go on to the second question. And Leck, uh, let's start with you again, please.
4: Okay. Uh, well, I'll say that one <laughs> <With>, the. <laughs>
1: we'll start with with Comed um, oh, okay and then we'll Sorry. we'll loop back to you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah I I forgot one thing to to tell you that why the uh juice movement uh explode uh not only in July the July is the second wave of the explosion of the Movements, but the first time is uh, began in February actually before the COVID uh, outbreak, uh, because the Future Forward Party, you know that I have said, uh, the new political party uh, who has uh, progressive politics, uh it was bullied, it was dissolved by the gangs of the military dictatorships. So, so now that the people are angry and. Uh, other people as well, that working class or uh, the working peoples and the uh, and the civil society as well that we are so uh, angry about that and but the class forces that in Thailand that um you know that is this like uh, the clash between the ruling class represented by the military bureaucracy system uh bureaucrats um. Monarchy and the monopoly corporates. I can it, we, we can uh, tell that there they are uh, elites class and which the rule the rule or the people. The people is means that the workers, uh, students are from the middle class um, below and the uh, civil society, the farmers, for example, and. So now it's like uh, this time, you know, the youth movement, you know, you, young people. There are new faces of the movement that who run the movement. But before that, you know, we we had a we we had a bigger movement as well. It's called Red Shirt People Movement because uh, in Thailand we had uh, coups from uh, in two thousand six. And 2014, you know, in 2006, at uh, that uh, our our group uh, at that time we called Turn Left, and we are t- we were trying to set up a, a political party, you know, a, peric- a left party at that time uh, before 2006, before the coup, uh, under the government of the Thaksin you know what, or Thai Rak Thai Party. The party is from the East. It was the capitalist party, but it has it. It had good social policies at that time, but it supported or promoted the neoliberalism policies. So at that time, we tried to to uh, persuade my friends, it is in NGOs and workers, to form the. A small left party, but but we failed at that time because we split. We split because the because of the coup in two thousand six. Yeah, at that time, you know, the coup in two thousand six that the military tried to overthrow the government at that time because the government uh, are quite uh violate the human rights in the south and a war of drugs and kill a lot of people at that time. Uh, and the old liberalism as well and but at that time you know we can see this conservative force the conservative force is from because they they use the nationalism they use the loyalism to attack the government and the conservative force that is like uh this was uh, it was supported by the monarchy by the royal families so at that time uh after 2006, about 2008, eight, nine, we were enlightened. We were quite, uh, we, we realized that the monarchy was uh, in the conflicts. So they came down to be the conflicts with the people because it supported the, the conservative force to attack the government and attack the racial movement. The racial movement is quite, you know, at that time, about one million. It's very. It was so big. So, so now at that. So now you know. But in two thousand fourteen, they came. out uh, the military came up. Came out to uh to stage the coup again to overcome this movement, but uh, we had a bad leadership. We had not enough good enough leaders to attack again. Uh, to respond to the coup in 2014. so the movement failed and and the red shirt activists you know were whipped out. They were arrested, they were sued, they were uh, accused from, by the police and a lot of cases 100 hun- cases 100 uh, political prisoners were uh, in jail at that time. Yeah. So now, yeah. Yeah. So now I, I it's, but the workers, you know, it's not it's like the people, you know, we can and until now the working class is the labor movement in Thailand, you know, may, many parts in labor movement in Thailand supported the king, supported the monarchy and tried to overcome mm-hmm. the taxes, you know what uh the Thai Rak Thai Party at that time. So and and the cool 2014 part of the labor movement still support the, the military. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they because you know that it's like a we have the monarchy, it it represents the royalists, it represents the conservative, and it established mm-hmm. the, the the domination, the dominant uh, ideology. So people like a. Like, uh, Love the king, something like that, and support the military. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So the so that we had weak working class and we have weak leftists because we, we were yeah quite speech under the, yeah. the perfect, I mean, Yeah.
1: Coming coming from that background, it's 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 unprecedented what the Thai uprising has uh has accomplished. Um, I remember these pictures of the Queen's um Motorcade ah. passing through one of the protests, and just you know the the yelling, the uh, you know the middle finger. It, it was just a it's a complete you know um, reversal in the public display of um, disgust and, and rejection to this to these figures. Um, so again, just because of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna keep moving. Um, Sergey, do you want to tell us a little bit about the class forces? And forty-five yes. minutes.
3: Yes, uh, first of all, uh, let me say that there are no unified political visions among mm-hmm. uh, the profess- uh, protesters, but there is a unified demand to abolish police violence. And this uh, goes to Baba's point. And with abolishing the police violence, it is impossible not to abolish this. And that is the demand. And that is uh, why what is happening in Belarus is a genuine revolution, because that is a unified demand. What is the political vision of the future is unclear. Now, um, in terms of left forces, there are no organized left forces to speak of. Somewhat similarly uh, to to what Lack is describing, due to certain historical conditions, Mm -hmm. namely, Lukashenko regime has uh, styled itself as a quasi-socialist or proto-socialist government. Uh, This, in turn, delegitimized socialist politics. Uh, now, to shed some light on this, just to explain uh, the particular case of Belarus, there was uh, very little privatisation in 1990s, unlike other uh, post-Soviet uh, republics. However, in the early 2000s, a contract system was introduced, which means uh, great precarity of employment. So, most workers have contracts for only a year, they have no rights to strike. Uh, the wages are going down. So uh, this is a form of state capitalism. There is no discussion of it, uh, whatever uh, Lukashenko wants to style himself uh, as. In this particular protest, factory workers that they usually, uh, Lukashenko's electorate, uh, rose up against. Okay, so that is one. So my thesis is, despite there being no organized left, I would say that the protest is not left in content, but left in form. And by this I mean, because solidarity, democracy, uh, horizontal organization has been absolute characteristics of this process. This is what uh, uh, this protest shares with other uh, left movements without perhaps self-consciously Uh, knowing it, and therefore these kind of conversations that we're having uh, would be very important uh, for drawing parallels. Um, uh, Now, another point uh, uh, is... um, of course, the question of the unions, unions were delegitimized also with Lukashenko. So there are only state unions. And uh, so they are catering basically to this uh, state capitalism. But in the days of protest now, there are strike committees that are being form, uh, formed. As I mentioned, there were uh, strikes to hold the police brutality. There are uh, independent unions being formed. Uh, and the, it is a question whether this will be an actor in the future after Lukashenko regime is overthrown, hmm. right? So the political field is open. Uh, something like welfare uh, um, policies, welfare state policies are very popular among the populations. Uh, if the certain opposition leaders are have neoliberal ideas, it is very clear that not everybody who is in the protest shares them so it will be a very much a contested uh, field in the future uh, as things unfold and therefore something like bringing these parallels uh of abolishing the police as abolishing of the system or something like uh or horizontal forms of leaderless forms of organization as leftist form of organization is very important to understand i think for that kind of potentialities this. Uh, this protest opens. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Excellent. And right on time. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, Baba, do you want to walk us through through your answer for that question on class forces? Um, You started talking about it previously. Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. For this, uh, I'll uh, focus more on the left um, forces. And there, there are, um, three major formations of the left in terms of coalition as coalitions uh, in the country that's uh, the joint action front which was formed in 2005 uh the alliance um, for surviving covid and beyond which was formed in march and then the coalition for revolution which emerged 2018 2019 now there had been this constant uh, i mean for want of a better word, debate, um, that look, it's about the trade unions, which is correct, but had been placed in the wrong sense, I would say, of replacing the bureaucracy for the working class movement and trade union movement on the part of uh, the other two, uh, apart from, and this played itself out, because when the, Uprising started. It took even, it took like a week before JAF and askap could even as much as Israel's statement. Uh, but, but, but you see, this argument of that, look, uh, emphasis is not placed on the trade union bureaucracy have been more of um more of seeking for patent rights and, uh, or as crutches. By this I mean, like with the Joint Action Front, it had been in a labor and civil society coalition uh, with the trade union center. But the trade union centers unceremoniously, I mean, just put this aside. And even when uh, on the heels of the of, of the of the uprising, the the general secretaries of the two trade union centers explained why they called off the strike, which was that look they didn't want to destabilize the country. They wanted law and order. So what this puts to the fore is the need for independent organization of revolutionaries that appeals to and works within rank and file working class people and youths, you know? But this itself does not now mean that, okay, we don't reach out to the trade union brokers within the ranks of core itself. I mean, you have the Federation of Informal Workers Organization and a number of trade unions. Now, so so during the, during the movement, you had the national, the two national trade union centers, they were quiet until after the massacre. At a point, core had to call out that, look, you people have to speak to be on the right side of history. So that was why, to a great extent, the left forces that were within the uprising were essentially those of core. Later, some from the Joint Action Front joined this, you know, by joining the comrades of the Coalition for Revolution. So that was essentially uh, the left dynamics there. Um, But of course, there were, as I I was pointing out earlier, other dynamics between the left wing of the movement, which was represented by CORE, and the more liberal uh, wing of of the movement, which was more inchoate, but largely, uh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, okay. So, 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 do we? Do, I look at the broader picture then, also with the left and uh, so the, the 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 left, the the, the liberal groups um, were more uh, represented by the feminist coalition. I, I rather. Think of it more as the feminist collective because it's a coalition is supposed to be a body of organizations. It's made up of, I mean, 13 exceptional women, as they put it, but with quite liberal views on what is to be done. You know, and these things play themselves uh, out in terms of demands, in terms of uh, what is. But the the, the liberal w- w- was it, it was more. It, it had an upper hand in terms of forming the narrative, and this is also the question of um, the blogosphere. I mean, Twitter. You know, had more followership and. Stripped the narrative and was also able to raise more funds. The feminist coalition, for example, raised over 200,000 US dollars within a space of two weeks. I mean, which were used to pay for medical bills, legal aid, and support some of the families of the people killed. So, so these were important, these were important things. But there was that contestation. I'll give you a very sharp example. Uh Alausa in Lagos, often Lecky, and uh, yes, you had Lecky was a major center, But there were two major centers in Lagos. The mass media, the, the mainstream media, also played a key role in terms of shaping that narrative. Alausa was grossly underreported, which was where you know the Coalition for Revolution was organizing congresses, you know, but. What I want to point out was on the 8th of October, you had both core members and the Liberals moving to Alausa to, to occupy it 24-7 and sleeping there. But the Libras, that was where some copies of the charter were turned. The Libras were, no, these revolutionaries want to turn this to revolution. So, but, but um, anyway, so... Um, to cut a long story short, I'll just say that um, the more working class content of certain centers, the more you had it more tilted also towards uh, the revolutionary politics and uh, the left within that broader
2: movement. Thank you.
1: It's very it's very hard to, um, to cut you all short because you have a lot to share. Um, because we are slightly short on time, I'm going to combine um, our next two questions. And then we'll just hop over to um, questions from the audience and uh, folks in the audience, if you want to keep sending your questions in so far, we've gotten very, very good ones. So I'm eager to get to those. Um, So the the final question really that we're going to end on is um, if you could tell us about internal and external challenges, um, how the uprising is confronting those, hopefully um, planning to overcome them. And then the second question um, would be partly how left forces are grappling with state repression, which you have uh, spoken to. And um, maybe perhaps uh, if you could focus on what imperial powers are involved, what is the role of Russia, the United States, Europe, surrounding powers. um, I think we really would like to hear about that analysis. Um, And again, it'll be four minutes um, and I will I will. Let you know in the chat to, to wrap up. Luck. I think you're muted, comrade.
2: Uh, excuse me. <laughs> um, about the imperialist uh, countries, uh, I think it's not the factor of the. Uh, struggles. These struggles are uh, even in the 2006 or two and now, and but the the big challenge in Thailand that uh, you know that I have said that uh, we don't uh, in the past that the coup in 2006. Uh, at that time that we had a uh, split between the uh, amongst the civil society among the movements uh, like trade unionists. Uh, NGOs, you know, at that time because the monarchy uh, was in the conflicts as well, you know, that support the conservatives force to use the violence against us and to support the militaries as well. And so the challenge is that uh, we don't have any left parties in the parliament and in the movement as well. So it's difficult uh, to to make a decision what which side you will be on, on you take, you will take. Be, uh, for example, the trade unionists support the coup because they hate the big capitalist uh political parties at that time. You know, so we split and they left us and the people split at that time and they they chose the monarchy because they love the mo- the kings, for example of the king. So now you know. In that time, we we try to criticize. You know, from 2008 nine, eight, until now, you people try to, people always like criticize the monarchy, criticize the military, criticize everything about the conservative ideologies, about the nomination of brainwashing, uh, cultural brainwashing uh, of the. Uh, led by the monarchy, and uh, and military try to use that ideologies to to be in the power, to seize the powers. So be, so we have like a, this is quite a big bodies in big uh, problems of Thailand. That how we can overcome the regime, the dictatorial regime that have a lot of actors. So so but we don't have uh, no, we don't have worries about the influence of the China of the US at all because uh, you know that uh, they don't have a, a real influence uh, on the Thai politics. So it's like a genuine movement now. The youth, the young generation movement. They use social media. They use uh, technology. They use new platform. So the new platform, is social media, that uh, supports a lot uh, for the uh, for the fighting uh, this time. And 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 in two thousand six, cool as well that we use. We have used social media. We have used Twitter, Facebook to mobilize the people, and we had uh, a lot of. We have so many uh, seminars or uh, public, uh, public events, you know, in at, at that time. So for 10 years, you know, that we that the people are quite more political. More political. And now we are the politics are quite, the political thoughts are quite uh, uh, promoted like a, left left idea, leftist and Marxist socialist idea as well, but even but still small, not that the socialist idea uh, does not uh, influence enough, influence or prevail in the society. So anyway, so that we are quite suffering from the state repressions, especially in 2010, that there is there is there was the massacre. In Bangkok. So, but this time the state repression is weak, weaker, weakened. Uh, it's weak, it's weak because the young people, you know, they could not, and they had a bad experience on the massacre before. So the state repression is quite, uh, is quite weak. And, but, but they use justice, they use the police, they use the court to, to shut uh, our mouth up. Yeah.
3: You're muted. Uh, Lala, you're muted right now.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, it seems like the red shirts is, is this referent that the, that this uprising movement not only learned from, but is sort of adjusting its strategies to avoid this bloodshed, um, which is, is interesting. And then, uh, Sergey, can you tell us a little bit about, um, well, again, about how um, neighboring forces, how international politics is sort of playing out in this uprising and uh, external and internal challenges?
3: Yes, uh, I will try to synthesize as fast as I can. Um, <clears throat> so uh, one of the challenges that if in contrast to these two uh, other struggles we're speaking about is weather. Quite simply, Wait. it is snowing. It is difficult to be on the street every day when it is snowing. Uh, what we uh, do share is that this system has been, system has been built for 26 years. It is starting to dismantle. That means they're ready to jail athletes who won Olympic medals, who are completely popular, which is a completely bizarre thing. They're firing uh, university professors who before were apolitical, and so on and so forth. So this system that has uh, that is all pervasive. Uh, is a challenge. But on the other hand, this movement can not be other than the revolutionary move- movement to abolish it and therefore abolish all social structures. Um, strategy has been basically to sustain as much pressure from all points in order to have the regime economically exhausted therefore strikes were important and the failure of the strikes and I will speak in a second is uh, also important so this brings me to um, the question of international uh, challenge now is the question for me Uh, The government has tried everything, ideology, trying counter protest, intimidating people. Nothing worked, nothing worked. So now is the question, do they have enough resources to establish military dictatorship? There is no other way. Either they're going to fall or they're going to establish a military dictatorship. In my opinion, they don't have these resources, but they are somewhat propped by Russia. Uh, so Russia could put um, really uh, exhaust the government financially, and they have helped them a little bit. But Russia is extremely ambivalent about Lukashenko regime. The problem is they don't have alternative, uh, uh, you know, puppet candidates. So this is uh, the point. And the last point I want to um, make is uh, this strategy of economic exhaustion and the uh, um, <coughs> factory strikes. Uh, Tikhanovskaya, who is uh, uh, in Europe right now, called uh, on October 26th a general strike. The general strike was called in the name of freedom and dignity. So we need to fight for our freedom and we have to make a strike to make uh, this regime fall financially. And this is uh, perhaps something we can learn from and this is another challenge because uh, the protests had uh, so few political demands, and that allowed society to unite. Here, the strikes—you cannot call a strike for freedom. You can call a strike for better wages. You can call a strike against police intimidation. Uh, and but and therefore, it uh, failed uh, in a sense. General strike failed. I mean, the strikes are still growing, but very slowly. And really on individual basis, and this only slows down this financial exhaustion of the regime. So, here's a question, really, that I pose for everybody. To what extent uh, political demands that <clears throat> crack the movement into parts is useful or not, pragmatically? But- yeah. Of course, one has to do uh, historical uh, analysis of it. And so uh, here's the dependence on Russia is not only on the regime, but the whole economy, unfortunately, is dependent on Russia. So the challenge is really the morning after. The morning after this regime falls, because there are people staying uh, ready for new liberal reforms. They're celebrating uh, to do new liberal reforms on the one hand. On the other hand, there is Russia who is ready to come out with same new liberal reforms only to their side. And the, the question is, the challenge is to translate these Modes of horizontal organization, which are very strong, which are uh, taking parts on local neighborhoods, local representations, and so on, to translate this into resistance the morning after.
1: Okay. Well, it's yeah. It seems in both of those cases there is this sort of um, uh, defining moment coming up. and these really important strategic questions that, as you were saying, may divide a movement um, or may be the last straw on the regime's um, uh, back, essentially. So, Comrade um, Baba, close us out on this final question, four to five minutes, and then we'll move to questions from the audience. Uh,
4: well, um, the regime drowned the the NSAs movement in blood. On the 20th of October um, at Leki, Alausa, and a number of other places in Lagos. Uh, and it, it, it wanted to stop mass protests then, but what it did, at least for the next couple of days, was to spark violent fight back on the streets. In the um, coming days, you had Lom um, youth take over the streets. Uh, there were a couple of looting, years, but they focused actually more on uh, institutions of the state. Over 200 police stations were burnt down. Um, 22 police officers were killed. Uh, even about seven soldiers were killed. Uh, I mean, and yes, malls were also looted and all that. So that went on a pace. Then tens of thousands of people broke down warehouses where COVID-19 palliates that were meant to ameliorate people's poor people's lives were kept. So, uh, but... That lasted for maybe like five days more. Then the crackdown continued. The crackdown was now in about, I mean, I'll say two, three ways. The, the state first tried to characterize everyone as hoodlums, you know, uh, including those that went to, I would say, simply expropriate the expropriator by taking the food that they should have been given. Some of the foodstuff were already getting rotten. But So they even did house to house searches and arrested people that took some of these COVID-19 palliatives. So there was a general crackdown on uh, the populace. Then there was crackdown on NSAS organizers and volunteers. Bank accounts of at least 20 persons were frozen. Um, people were put on no-fly lists to be able to travel out. Core activists tried to organize, you know, um, reignite the embers of things. But in three places, our members were arrested and so on, uh, and so forth. So now Now, where we are now in terms of international, rather than influence, there was inspiration from like the George Floyd uh, movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. And this has also contributed to ongoing collaboration, you have over the past um, few weeks now, Comrades in Nigeria and comrades in the United States, um, members of the BLM, also in the Afro-Socialist Caucus of the DSA, you know, have been organizing Pan-African, you know, uh, Sunday schools, the first of which was last week, Sunday. And this school is at the heart of a call for international solidarity on Friday, 20th November, which will make it a month. After the massacre, so I would urge you uh, where you can. There will also be protests in front of embassies of uh, Nigerian embassies in a number of countries where you can join this. Where you can at least, even if it is to speak out against, you know, this the regime's draconian measures and for the struggle for uh, total liberation in Nigeria. Please uh, do that. I will be very glad that you did. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Comrade Baba, um, and thank you for that call to, <laughs> to action. Um, so I am starting to take questions from the audience. That concludes the sort of panel uh, part, and we'll be taking we'll be taking questions, answering questions for the remaining um, fifteen to twenty minutes, um, and. I have some questions that are specific to uh, certain panelists. So let me start with uh, one for Lek. Um, Could Lek tell us more about the involvement of workers in the Thai protests, which you spoke about, but more specifically, young workers, vocational schoolers protecting protesters, and again, how might workers put their demands central uh, to the struggle? And then I'm just going to tie one more to that, which is if you could speak about the urban-rural dynamics. Um, you spoke a little bit about that, but if you could maybe go into it, um, how are they coordinating? What is what is the communication like? Um, and let's start with that for again uh, for four
2: minutes. Okay. Uh, yeah. The. Under the military rules uh, since 2014 uh, until now, that we uh, we need to draft a new constitution and uh, to reshape Thai politics again. That uh, not to be more uh, conservative uh, uh, and violence against the people again. Uh, and so, so now there is no more uh, no political uh, prisoners uh, from the youth. Uh, Arrested uh, because the youth, the young people, uh, they are jailed. uh, They are jailed uh, previously, but now they are released. And uh, but the movement, you know, that there are different uh, students from the schools, from vocational students, from university. But the but there are some uh, popular uh, big groups uh, from universities. From like a Tamasan universities that they led, uh, they lead, they lead the movement mainly. And but among the youth movement now, we had not only students, uh, vocational, vocational uh, student is quite uh, unique because they, you know, they are from the working class, they are from the uh, poor uh, families, so they they join. That a lot of them are join uh, the movement and they help to be. Volunteer as uh, guards, so they are in the forefront, yeah, to protect, uh, protect us, to protect the uh, young uh, schoolboys, schoolgirls uh, from the uh, police. So and but the working class, you know, that you know, the youth movement among the youth movement, there are workers' group as well. They are like a, a union. Unionist group in in. In the central part of Thailand and in the eastern part of Thailand, but it's still there are still small groups, especially in the central part, because uh, you know among the trade union movement there are some like a progressive uh, unionists who uh, who oppose always who oppose the the military uh the coup and so now they are still uh. In the in the movement and follow the movement and uh, fighting for the, the democracy in Thailand. So, but they are not 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 big enough and and because of the conflict as well. Is conflict is quite wide class between the rule the ruling class and the rule class. Not not exactly the capitalists and the workers. So, but but the next I think the next the next conflicts will be between the capitalists and the and the workers because of the economy the economy in thailand is known is quite now is in inequality big equality. big in, um, it's quite uh, inequality uh, uh, among the peoples, you know the, the gap between the rich and the poor so i think that the next time that the, the conflicts will convey to the to the new uh New new thing that the capitalists and the and the workers, but but we have to trans we have to to win the military first now yeah. and uh, to to put uh, the monarchy and uh, under the constitution. Try to prevent the the king to intervene the Constitution to intervene the, the government as well so yeah.
1: yeah 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 it's interesting what a central role um, sort of rewriting constitutional or the Constitution um, is as a demand from Peru to Chile from Thai, Thai context. Um, so I'm going to now go over to Sergey we have uh, two questions for you. Um, the first one is from Todd. There have been some hesitancy in the United States to support protests in Belarus out of concern that EU or U.S. governments may be may try to manipulate the people. So can you speak to that? Um, and then the second question for you, Sergey, is uh, can the Coordination Council that you mentioned be trusted? Should it? Um, and yes, the floor is yours.
3: Yes, uh, thank you for these questions, very important questions precisely for our discussion. So this idea that uh, this movement may be uh, manipulated by US or EU is actually the language of Lukashenko. But that movement might be manipulated by Russia is also the language of Lukashenko. So this must be uh, realized clearly. What is becoming clear to me from our conversation, what must be abolished, in all three cases is police brutality and fascism. And in case of Belarus, this means abolition of Lukashenko regime. So this should be crystal clear to the left, hopefully after today. This is what unites these three struggles. Now what I want to add to this is that I really in my critical assessment of the situation, I really think the political. Future Belarus is an open field, so it is a question of international solidarity and international left not to let it be co-opted by uh, new liberals uh, from the EU. So why in advance leave it to them, right? So that is my appeal, my my question here. Uh, finally, can coordination council be trusted? Uh, so coordination council is. Uh, broader civil society uh, organization that was built for peaceful transition of power, it makes no political demands. First of all, that is important to realize. The demands they make is new elections. Uh, Tikhanovskaya, since leaving Belarus, has heavily leaned on the EU, yes, because they gave her the shoulder. Now is it uh, so bad right away? Well, what do you want? On whom to lean? Uh, EU itself is not homogeneous politically. Let's remember this. Uh, Finally, can it be trusted? Uh, Coordination Council is not Tikhanovskaya, it is heterogeneous, uh, also politically. Uh, I know people who belong to it who are on the left as well, uh, who are consulting her. So again, this is still a matter of uh, struggle very much. I want to foreground or highlight certain initiatives that Coordination Council has put out. Formation of independent unions, uh, giving the means of workers uh, and the information and legal support and protection of exiting governmental unions into the independent unions. Organization of local neighborhoods and their uh, self-representation. This also has been an initiative of Coordination Council um all sorts of actions of solidarity including uh university support for the expelled students uh university organization all these has been uh, uh initiatives of coordination council so they're working on all fronts just like protest is working on all fronts mm-hmm. should it be trusted it is our job to make sure that we hold it accountable to what it pro- uh, wanted to do, namely, not political demands, but demands for new election and abolishing of this regime.
1: Mm. Okay, thank you. Uh, that was very useful. And then, um, as our final answer to audience questions, we have two uh, questions for you, uh, Comrade Baba, from um, or regarding the the very sticky question of horizontal leadership, right? So the first one is from Shireen. She asks. From a Marxist perspective, leaderless movements pose major problems to winning major victories, whether overthrowing the state or even achieving more modest reforms. Are these attempts to grapple? Are there attempts to grapple with this? And then a sort of sort of um, echo, but maybe with a different emphasis, T. Brown asks, is co-leadership and horizontal leadership not a viable option so as not to perpetuate social hierarchy basis on asymmetrical power? And the floor is yours, Baba, for to five minutes. And you're on mute. All
4: right, thank you. Well, I, I think that there's really no totally leaderless movements. Uh, I mean, you could talk of um, it not being that obvious. I mean, you could talk of network leadership but because leadership boils down to, to draw from Gramsci. I mean, providing education and direction. I mean, they're even the most spontaneous movement has some level of uh, uh, leadership. But we, I think rather than looking from a Marxist perspective at the problems that leaderless movements pose, the point of departure should be why this is becoming uh, more uh, what the shape things are taking. It, it actually reflects sharper contestations. It it, it, it it shows both the fact that revolutionary movements are coming out from a period of Long drawn um, setbacks. This this is not like say the nineteen thirties where you had like strong uh, communist parties with hundreds or tens of thousands you know of members. That, so it, it's not accidental. Mm-hmm. You know we make history, but it is not just how we want it. So we make it based on what we inherit from history itself, and this includes the ideological uh, baggage of several other forces that, of course, we join and have a legitimate right to join. So, uh, drawing from our own experience, for example, in, in the UNSAS, we that persistence of revolutionaries within first, having that critical mass to be able to make a difference in when you have such spontaneous rising. And persistence, consistence, and organizedness of such in advancing more revolutionary the, the, the rank and file will for the, the movement would would deepen revolutionary it, it has such greater tendencies that that okay we want to start as self-acclaimed leaders of 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 of, of a movement yes the issue of uh, horizontalism there are some there are some things but the thing is also that you you need How do I put it? It is not accidental that, I mean, autonomists or anarchist projects of seizing power have hardly ever had much success. I mean, look at Occupy Wall Street. It had great promise, but it also had that shortcoming. So when we say that we should see things beyond uh, just uh, that it is leaderless to understanding why it is not to glorify that you know, uh, horizontalism, despite whatever benefits uh, it might be deemed to have. Yes, we should be anti-bureaucratic. We should be anti-the Superman or Superwoman uh, um, leader. But we should build, we should build organic leadership from the rank and file up. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Comrade Baba, spoken like a true trade unionist um, from birth. Um, okay, so I would like to um, thank you all uh, for these insights um, and for having also sort of um, referenced one another's comments and um, have you know made parallels and distinctions. Uh, I'd like to just give you each one minute to close out um, ideally, please tell us how international uh, solidarity can um, can and should uh, take place with these uprisings, um, and then I will close out on how to follow these comments, um, where to do so, etc. So let's start again with uh, Leck.
2: Okay, um, yeah, um, uh, I had a, I worked on labor issue for years. And so I have uh, like a network, especially in Asia, uh, among the, I have friends uh, in lab, labor groups uh, in, especially, uh, in Southeast Asia and especially in Southeast Asia. So when we had like a uh, uh, protest, uh, especially uh, since 2008, 2009, uh, when our group uh, had a campaign for releasing political prisoners, we had used uh, our network, social networks as well, uh, to help us, to support us uh, in the national level. Because, uh, you know, we had uh, campaigns in Thailand, and when we had, like, uh, uh, when a lot of uh, uh, student students... uh, movement. uh some uh, of, of them uh, were in jail. We will. uh the network will have like us. Uh, will support us, and but the the next thing we what should have to be done that uh, what should be done uh, in uh, in the near future that we need to reorganize the trade unions uh, movement in Thailand as well to 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 unite and to to build more unions because we had few numbers of trade unions in Thailand, the movement in Thailand, uh, trade union movement is quite uh, small. So we need uh, a lot of things to do to recognize and to to uh, establish the movement, to sustain, to maintain the movement, to fight for democracy, because uh, it's not uh, easy to overthrow the regime, you know, and it's not uh, easy to, to push the re- uh, monarchy reform. Be- uh, in Thailand so we need more uh, people to involve the movement and we need organized organize and uh, we need uh, like a uh, movement labor movement as well to to join so so yeah this is like uh, we need uh, and we need g- general strikes as well because the the rallies or demonstration is not enough so General strike is the, a, a way, a good way to, uh, a, way, a way out, yeah, and a new tactic yeah, in the future. Yeah. Militant,
1: independent, trade union, organized labor. Thank you, comrade. Um, Sergey.
3: Yes, uh, just two points, uh, synthetic points. Uh, one, the first one, ad- addressing also the last question. As we speak about international uh, solidarity, I would like to make an appeal not to project given Marxist schemas onto historical situation, but follow Marxist example to concretely analyze historical conjunctures. And on that basis, establish uh, solidarity. What is clear for us all here is that police brutality is what is the driving force against which we're all fighting. And police brutality and fascists must be defeated everywhere. And that should be a point of solidarity. And I think we must all understand that, uh, and in Belarus this is often not understood, that police brutality is not their unique situation. It -hmm. is also a situation in Philadelphia. Uh, And we must understand the international nature of this uh, conflict. And finally, what this also means about not projecting the schema and establishing this uh, solidarity, we must understand that the languages of politics emerge in struggle again another Marxist mm-hmm. point and not to project our own ideas and conclusions but to enable certain potentialities that are still imminent in struggle
1: okay wow well, those are quite powerful um, conclusions and then uh, comrade Baba please close us out
4: yeah I would say uh, a, a very we are, we are at a very Critical historical moment, I would say. Um, I mean, before the COVID pandemic shit hit the fan, don't forget also last year, several mass movements and all that. Uh, I see this as, in a sense, started as a slow motion version of, but most likely will be far deeper than what we had as the post great recession movements. Uh, I mean, look at after 2007 to 2009, you had the Arab Spring, you had, you know, um, Wisconsin and so on and so forth. Uh, And then in Nigeria in 2012, we had Occupy Nigeria. And you can see how at that moment, the different movements learned from each other, both in terms of language and tactics. But... A question I asked myself several times then after that seemed to have spent its force was unlike after the Great Depression where the mass movement won some social compromise, the states, the, 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 the bourgeois globally managed to push through even more neoliberalism. And I think that that was partly because in the 30s, the revolutionary demands were far clearer. Don't forget in 1943, a member of the House of Lords in the UK was saying, if we don't give them revolution, they will give us reforms. Now, more than ever, we need to be clear. Revolutionary forces need to be clear in advancing you know, the ultimate, we, we, it's not right now, like my general secretary in the work of places to say, if we can't be as radical as ever at this point in time, when? Because we are facing existential crisis, the pandemic, the the the, the, the climate crisis, we should be unabashed in saying, me with Capitalism down with neoliberalism. Another world is not only possible, it must be worn on the ruins of this system that has proven incapable of moving humankind forward. We should be loud in saying this, in organizing around this, whatever the context. And I think that that is the challenge we face at this point in time.
1: Hmm. Thank you, comrade Baba, comrade Sergei, comrade Lek. Uh, I will um, be listening to this recording again. Uh, these are extremely powerful lessons um, from your experiences, from the front lines. Um, and I want to... Uh, Close out tonight's panel by announcing that internationalism from below will be having a second series uh, on feminist uprisings around the world that will be on Saturday, December 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll have, um, again, frontline activists exchanging on debates, on strategies. And this time it'll be uh, comrades from Brazil, Turkey, Poland and Spain. Um, so please, uh, look out for that. It'll be on our, um, social media. Thanks again to the co-sponsors, um, of this event for Haymarket Books for all the technical, uh, savviness, um, in particular, Comrade Sean. And, um, undoubtedly, police brutality is, um, as Comrade Sergei was saying, sort of one of the, um threads throughout these uprisings and that unites everywhere from Chile to Colombia to the United States. It is the frontline defense force of capital. It is the people that we confront on the streets. This has to be unabashedly at at the forefront of our demands uh, to abolish the police um, and to, as Comrade Baba was saying recreate a world from, from the ashes of this one. Um, I saw a question and I will close on these terms, um, from the audience asking what are internationalism from below's sort of long-term plans. Um, for now it's to hold a uh, webinar series like these, um, hearing from activists that have uh, knowledge or experiences from what is happening on the ground. Um, but I think more than that, it's sort of Uh, connecting the dots between local struggles, so the struggles that we are immediately involved with, but across uh, regions. So we have, for example, just to close out on this example, um, and to use an example from Latin America, which wasn't present in this panel, uh, socialist comrades um, from Venezuela in the United States, in this case, uh, the Venezuelan Workers Solidarity Group, um, that are in communication with comrades in Latin America. Um, So it's sort of U.S. diaspora with regional, and then how can that knowledge also be shared and exchanged with comrades in Laosan, in Hong Kong, in South Korea, in Sudan, um, and how can we learn from one another, stand in solidarity with one another, um, and hold our, uh, our battles locally. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening to uh, tonight's discussion, and good night.
0: Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, Subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.